Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Welcome to everybody that's in my home. And I want to thank everybody for being here. And I was, while I was, I want to thank everybody for being here from all over the world, from different places on SoundCloud, or application that God has led us to, that many people are coming and being fed on a weekly basis. An amazing amount of uh, amazing following we're getting on there. I want to welcome you as well into my home into McKinney, Texas. Even though you're not here with me physically, I want to welcome you for wherever you are all over the world. Praise be to God. I'm thankful to have you here. Uh, if you want to watch interesting videos or have communion, we just did communion, which we don't list with the service together, but we list it to the side. You can take communion with us too, because we've got communion services now on, on the SoundCloud Gospel Saving Church. So you can have real church right from your home. Let's say there's not a church in your home or you live in a very restricted nation or country. You can, take, you can have church right in your own home. Take communion. There's Worship songs on my website, gospelsavingchurch.com. So you can go there and you can worship the Lord. You can take communion and then you can have service. If you don't have a good church by you or if you can't find a good church or you're in a restricted nation where you're not even allowed to go to church. So anyway, praise be to God. Thank you and everybody for joining in. And I'm glad to be standing here before you. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to teach the Word of God this week unto you. I was just thinking this morning, uh, you know, how many churches that there are all over the world, especially in America, and I, I just remember what, what the Bible says. Uh, one of the epistles reads that not many should be teachers, knowing that, you know, that, the, that the judgment against those that teach the Word of God is stricter, it's, it's harder. And yet I look at all the churches that are out there and that are around, and I think, wow, I really feel sorry for them if they're not teaching the truth, because so many churches nowadays in America... Uh, America's in such a state of apostasy right now are not, is not, are not teaching the truth. And yet these people feel called of God and they get up and they, they teach apostate doctrines and they teach falsely about the Bible and they need to read their Bibles and realize that the Bible says that we're held to a stricter condemnation. So I'm really thankful that God allows me and I know that I teach the Word of God accurately because I'm always testing myself and I always want to make sure that I'm According to the Word, exactly what the Word says. If the Word says it, then I believe it. If it doesn't say it, then I don't believe it. And period, the end. So anyway, God bless you all. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, if you don't want to join me in a word of prayer, and then I'll get into our title of our service, and we'll, we'll get rolling on and hear the Word of the Lord today. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you so much for that your Word is here. Lord, I, as I just said, Lord, you already know this. The Word is not in many places in this place today. The light is dark. Now, Lord God, the light is, is, is going on and it's dark. So many false teachings, so many lies, so many people just want itching ears and just want to hear what they want to hear. They don't really, really want to hear what the Bible really has to say. And Lord, dear Jesus, I just pray for those people. Lord God, that you'd have mercy on them, Lord God, those that are teaching falsely nowadays and are pray you'd bring them to repentance before it's too late for them, Lord God. And I pray here, Lord God, as I always do, Lord, keep me in your will. I pray that you'd speak to me exactly what you want me to say, Lord God. Every week, it's you. I pray and you start putting the thoughts in my mind. And of course, if I hear anything, I always check it out in the Word. So Lord, thank you that, that I, uh, I know I teach the Word, Lord. Thank you that the truth is here at Gospel Saving Church. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Lift up this service to you, Lord. I ask you to bless it ask you to make this, these words of mine go forth to the whole world and impact even tens in the tens of thousands, Lord, of peoples, even millions of peoples, Lord God. May these words of mine impact today. We love you and praise you, dear God. Keep the devil out of this place. Keep his minions away from this place, Lord. Block him out of our minds, Lord. He, he attacks the mind so easily, Lord, and we let him. Lord, shame on us, Lord. We shouldn't let him. Lord, we love you and praise you. Help us in our faith, strengthen us in our faith, and grow us in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 28 through 33. Matthew chapter 14, 28 through 33. The title of our sermon today, Christ was and is patient with doubting, seeking sinners. Matthew 14, 28 through 33. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to talk about it. Verse 28, Matthew chapter 14. 
The Bible says we pick up halfway through our account. We talked about that last week. Disciples are still on the ocean, still on the sea, or still on the sea, excuse me, and they're on their boat and they're in the midst of a storm. Matthew 28, Jesus is coming. They see him. They don't know it's him. Matthew 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he, Jesus, said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Whew! That's an exciting section of Scripture. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. This week, I actually get to talk about an aspect, a beautiful aspect of God, a glorious aspect of God that just gets me so excited. It's actually one of my most favorite characteristics of God. And if you noticed, as last week, that's right, we read verses 28 and 29 over again, even though I taught them last week. Why did I do that? I have a reason. You see, I had to back up to verses 28 and 29 and teach them over again, even though I taught them last week, because in them, along with verses 30 and 31, so those four verses there, we find a beautiful aspect of God's character. It's actually one of the things about God that absolutely, when I think about it, makes me just want to fall to my knees and worship Him and thank Him and just fall so head over heels more and madly in love with Him every single time that I think about this beautiful aspect of our Creator. What is that beautiful aspect of God's uh, character that I love so much? With all this being said, I'm going to read verses 28 through 31, and I'm going to show you what this beautiful aspect of God's character is. So Peter answers Jesus. He didn't know it's Jesus, though, at the time, 100%, and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? So, we talked about it last week. Peter and the disciples here tested Jesus Christ. Why did they do this? Number one, again, I like we talked about last week, they were really not sure that it was 100% him. Remember, we talked about it last week. Peter, in pure innocence, in pure innocent intentions, called out to Jesus and he gave him this test. Remember, the disciples were scared. They were frightened. They'd been on the boat for 16 to 18 hours fighting the storm halfway across the, the sea. They were just, they must have been drained. They were, they were desperate. They didn't know what to do. Are we going to die out here? Oh my gosh, what's, what, what's going to happen to us? When they see Jesus Christ coming on the water toward them, they even probably thought they became delusional at this point. Why would I say that? Well, they heard the voice of Jesus, but nobody had ever seen anybody walking on water before. So they thought it was a ghost. So they thought they saw a ghost, but they thought they heard the, the, you know, the, the voice of Jesus. So they, were, they didn't know what to think at this point. They were just out of their minds. Crazy. They, were, they had just lost it. They thought, that's it. We've, we've got, that's it. The next step, we're going to die. Who, this ain't, Jesus, Jesus, is it a ghost? Who's this coming toward us on the water? What's going on? Oh my gosh, this is it. This is the last step before death. So in desperation, Peter yells out. This is the last step. He's like, I don't know what else to do. Jesus, if that's you, Lord, command me to come to you. He tests 
he throws a little test out there thinking this is this is it. I got to find out who this is if it's Jesus it's a it's help if it's not it's a ghost oh my gosh we're gonna die we're gonna drown terrible situation these important details are so valuable that we read about what the disciples were going through when they actually threw a test out there to Jesus and they actually show us it's it's within these little details that we find the real reason why they tested Jesus, but they weren't really 100% sure it was Jesus. And here's why. Here's why they threw the test out there. Because of their lack of faith. At this point, they had lost all hope of survival. At this point, they, had, they were faithless. They knew they were walking with Jesus, but where had Jesus been? probably felt like days that they were out there in that sea. They had lost all hope. They had lost all faith. This beautiful aspect of God's character I speak of is found in that detail. So what is it? This is it, and this is just, it makes me tingle when I even think about it. Christ didn't then, and he still doesn't now, get angry with doubting, seeking sinners who test him because of their lack of faith. Instead, he was patient and loving and kind toward these men that did this and toward us now. He was patient and loving and kind if we're in the same type of situation that the disciples were in at this point. God has patience and love with the humble heart that seeks him but doubts him and just earnestly wants the truth. So he tests him to find out if God and Christ are the truth. The same way as Christ shows us with the rich young ruler who came to, Jews, uh, came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. This man came to Jesus. He was doubting his entrance into heaven. He was seeking truth. He was a sinner. And he wasn't saved. Mark 10, 17 through 22. This is the account. Now as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him. This was the rich young ruler. So notice, one came running and he knelt before him. And he asked him and he said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Look at what he said. He wasn't sure about his eternal destiny. He was in doubt. We know that he was a sinner because guess what? The Bible says we're all sinners. So, so was the rich young ruler. He just had quite a few hangups, as I myself do, as every other person on the face of the planet does. He had some hangups. So he cries out. He's not sure that Jesus is the Christ. So he yells out and he says, Good, good teacher. You know, that's or rabbi, or rabboni. What shall I may do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And then he goes on to say, under the old covenant, we have to remember that Jesus taught what was appropriate. And in Jesus's day, he hadn't died and resurrected yet. So he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So he gives them the law to keep. He gives them the law. He says, see the law? You've got the law there before you. Why do you doubt your entrance into heaven? You've got the law. If you keep the law, isn't that what it's all about? But you see, the rich young ruler knew that there was more than the law that was going to get anybody to heaven because he was doubting which was right, because even then, at that point, the law really didn't save anybody, because even at that point, it was really all about faith in God as well. So he answered and said to him, the rich young ruler did, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. So he says, I I've done all these things. I've done all these things. I I've kept all the things that you've said I'm supposed to keep. But what he really said there is, but I'm really not sure 100% that that's what's going to get me into heaven. Look at Jesus' response to him when this rich young ruler comes to him. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Wow. 
loved him. He looked at him with compassion and he loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Notice he didn't say sell all that you have and you'll get to heaven. He said sell all that you have and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he says the real part, the real new covenant part here. Then he says, and come, take up the cross and follow me. So Jesus gives him the Old Testament, which the guy knew. It was a check in his heart. Wait a minute. That's not going to get me there. I, I just feel it. Keeping the law, I, I've, I've done it all. Even though he hadn't, probably 100%. Nobody can keep the law in full 100%. But Jesus humored him, nevertheless, and loved him and already knew. But he knew that the law couldn't get him there. So Jesus goes ahead and gives him, yeah, I know that there's more. I know, son of Abraham, I know there's more. Take up your cross and come and follow after me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. Now, although the rich young ruler didn't respond and do what Jesus said, Jesus still looked at him with love, patience, and kindness when this man came to him. And guess what? He even revealed himself to him because he told him the real way that somebody can get saved. The real way that somebody can come to have real eternal life under, underneath the covenant that Jesus Christ was about to make. Not under the old covenant of bulls and goats and rams. Now the rich young ruler rejected Jesus for his riches. But the, this characteristic of God Almighty and Jesus Christ is the very reason why I myself am born again. Why I, my very self, am saved at this very day. And let me explain. My journey to Christ started about 15 years ago where I was a lost, absolutely hopeless sinner. I was so lost in sin. I was so engulfed in sin. I was such a horrible sinner. I was abusive to my family. I was a thief. I was an adulterer at heart. I was an evil man. I would hurt my best friends, lie to my parents, hurt others, run you off the road, vandalize. I was an evil, horrible sinner. I was addicted to many, many, many things. I was addicted. I loved this world and the things of this world. I thought that they brought me peace. But they didn't bring me peace. They brought me more pain. They didn't bring me peace. I was a lost and hopeless sinner. I had a lot of bad things going on. I was a workaholic. I worked my life away for that almighty dollar and that invisible American dream that nobody can attain because no matter how much money you have, you always want more, which proves that God's word is right for he says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. And if you think I'm wrong, go look at the big guys in America today and the big guys all over the world. They always want more. They have billions and the billions are not enough. They keep trying to go get more. And me and my wife, me and my missus were doing really well financially. But our marriage was falling apart. I was a horrible person. And I had no peace in my life at all. I had zero peace in my soul. I would go to bed every night and be scared to death of the day that I died. I'd lay there every night and my eyes, I would close my eyes and I would think about that very last moment that I would close my eyes and it would be black. The very last heartbeat that my heart would ever beat in my chest and the very last breath that I would ever take and I would lay there and gripped with fear going, oh my gosh, what happens to me when I die? And I dreaded the day of my death. I was an atheist. I didn't believe that God existed. So therefore, when I died, it was just they buried me in the ground and that was it. That was all that happened to me, I thought. But I knew as the rich young ruler did, I knew that there was something to me. I was like, am I sure? Am I sure that when I die, they just 
dig a hole and bury me in the ground and that's it. Am I sure that that's it? And I would look out at the stars and the sky and the moon and the sun and I'd think, wow, how did it all get there? And I really started to doubt my beliefs that I had had for almost 25 years that I'd carried. And I just wasn't sure. So one night I'm sitting in my rocking chair and my world was falling apart. I was a horrible father and, and due to that and because of my lust for money, I had started working seven days a week. I was probably working maybe 70, maybe 80 hours a week. I was never hardly home and when I was home, I was yelling at everybody because I was miserable. I was going to make everybody miserable too. So one day it hit me. I just can't live like this anymore. I have to know. I have to know, is God really real? Does God really exist? Who is he? Is he real? Does he exist? I just don't know. I've never, I, I just, I don't know. It's midnight and I'm sitting in my living room on my red rocking chair, my red recliner. I used to love those red rocking chairs, recliners. And I was putting on my shoes and I said, I'm going to go to Walmart. I said in my mind, and I'm going to buy myself a Bible because I don't know if there's a God or not, but I'm going to go and I'm going to start to investigate for myself. I've never done it, and I'm going to go for myself. My wife sees me getting on my shoes, and it's midnight. And she's, it's midnight. People don't generally get on their shoes at midnight. I wasn't a, a night goer. I was a family man. I didn't go out partying at 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. I was, I was going to bed by 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. I was going to bed, doing watching TV. I'm getting on my shoes. My wife says, Ed, where are you going? And I said, honey, I'm going to go to Walmart. I don't know if God's real or not. I'm going to buy myself a Bible. I don't know. Maybe he's real, maybe he's not, but I'm going to start looking for myself. So I started seeking that night. My wife, unbeknownst to me, had a Bible that was given to her X amount of years earlier in a very strange coincidence that happened. I'll, I'll spare the details just for time. But she comes out of the room. She went into our closet, brings out a Bible and says, here, I said, where'd you get this? She tells me the story. I start from that moment on, I started seeking God. I started going, God, are you really real? My testimony goes as this. I started reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I read the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. At the end of those books, I said to myself, you know what? I looked up to heaven. I said, you know what? I, I admit there's got to be a God because evolution ain't got no answers and the world doesn't have no answers. because How did all that get there? It's so perfect. It's so beautiful. How did it all get there? It just, just didn't pop there. Everything has a creation. Everything has a beginning. Everything has an origin. I started believing in God. I said, okay, that's great. I, I, I can handle that. But what about this guy named Jesus? What about this guy named Jesus? I've heard about him before, but I wasn't raised in church. I had been to church before, but I wasn't raised in church. So I said, well, what about this guy named Jesus? So I found him in the Bible, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And over about the period of maybe six to eight months, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I read those first five books of the Old Testament. And at the end of this time, I had gotten to the end chapter of John, the very last page, the very last word of John, and this anger built up within me, and I was angry. And I looked, I slammed, closed the Bible, and I slammed it down on the table next to me, and I said, looked up to heaven, and I said, Lord God, how can this be? I've never seen anybody healing people's eyes. I've never seen anybody raise anybody from the dead. I've never seen anybody do these things, any of these things. I've never seen it ever. How am I supposed to believe that this guy named Jesus came and did all these things that I've never seen him. And in case you're wondering, ain't this, if you can't see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, or smell it, it doesn't exist. So I couldn't see, taste, touch, hear, or smell anything that Jesus did. And I just couldn't believe. And I looked up to heaven and I said, how am I supposed to believe this? And as I was looking up to heaven and as I was meditating on these things, as I was thinking, I can't believe this, God Almighty spoke to my heart, and I, I kind of didn't know it was Him. I thought maybe it was my conscience. I don't know. This little voice inside me said to me, Have you just ever asked me if I was real? Now, if, in case you missed it, 
God at that point told me to test it. Have you ever asked me if I was real? Have you ever asked me if I was real? God told me, ask me if I'm real. I said, I thought to myself, well, no. I never asked you if you're real. I never asked you if you're real. Well, no. So I got down on my knees, on my carpet, on my living room floor. I think my wife and boy at the time were out shopping or doing something. And I got down on my knees and I put my face in the carpet and I said, Lord God, are you really real? Do you really exist? Jesus Christ, are you who this book says you are? Because I can't believe it. I can't see it. Are you really there? Are you really real? And I don't know how long I was there. I don't know how long I was laying there. I don't know how long I was crying out. All I remember tears flooding the floor and down my face. And I, and I knew at that point, if God wasn't real, that I was just going to get up and I was going to go on about my life. And I was going to, that's it. I was just, that's it. That was all I knew. I knew that if I asked him, I, I felt I, he's real. If he's real, he can show me. If he's real, I just want to know he, he can reveal himself to me. And out of the nowhere, out of nowhere, came this whole power, this, this amazing power that filled the whole room that I was in. And I sat up and I looked around and I said, whoa. And the whole room was full of this power. And God spoke to me again, but this time more powerfully. And he said, oh, Ed, I'm real. And I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. I'll always love you. Come to me. And I didn't know what else to do. I just cried out. But nevertheless, God came into the room with me by his Holy Spirit and he froze me. God and Christ revealed himself to me that very moment in that room. I was asking him, are you real? Are you real? Can you show me? Is there some, can, you, can you please? I just want to know if you're real. I didn't want to see a monkey jump through a hoop. I didn't want to see a magic trick. I didn't say, Jesus, if you come down here right now and stand before me and look at me, I'll believe you then. All I wanted to know was, God, are you really there? Do you really exist? You see, I was a faithless, Seeking sinner. And when I honestly and earnestly asked God if he was really, really real, with pure intentions in my heart, he revealed himself to me, just like he did with Peter and the disciples here in this section, just like he did with the rich young ruler. He revealed himself to us. Wow. The God of all creation had time to come down and be where I was. And he radically transformed my life. God is so loving and patient and kind with doubting, seeking sinners that come to him. Christ really demonstrates here in this section, here with me, here with the parable or with the story of the rich young ruler where Proverbs 3.34 says, surely he gives grace to the humble because he surely did. We humbled ourselves before the Lord and he showed us grace. This amazing aspect of God's character that makes me fall deeply in love with him really gives mankind hope. There's no hope in this world, people. There's no hope in this world. There's no hope in money. There's no hope in cars. There's no hope in anything you could ever attain in this world. There's no hope in drugs or alcohol. There's no hope in anything. Because guess what? The nice new stuff that I always had, that I always thought made me happy, always just end up letting me down because I still had to make the check out every month to pay for that stuff. And I was, I was, uh, what do they call it? Consumer poor. I had all kinds of stuff. But I was poor because I spent everything I made. I had lots of stuff.
but I was stuff poor. I didn't have hardly any money because I always spent it on everything else I had. This aspect of love that makes, the aspect of God that makes me fall deeper in love with Him just gives mankind hope. Because He did it then, He did it with me, and He's still doing it to this very day now. And it's especially, especially so important, so valuable, so sweet when you think about it, when you know why that He allows faithless, seeking sinners to test Him. Why? Why does he do that? Why does he allow faithless seeking sinners to test him? 2 Peter 3.9, of course. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's love for humanity, God's love for mankind is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our wildest ideas that we could ever You can never love anyone on this planet as much as Jesus Christ loves you. It's just not within you. And even when he comes and he puts it in you like he did with me and like he did with Peter and like anybody out there that's a real born-again Christian, you still can't love anybody like Jesus loved people because you still have this flesh to deal with. And in your flesh, the Bible says, nothing good dwells. Nothing good dwells. This love he has for us even causes him to make the way for everybody to find him. Did you hear what I just said? This love that he has for you even causes him to make the way for you to find him. Acts 17, 26 and 27. Paul's talking to the Areopagus and they're debating religion. And, you know, Paul comes in and he starts sharing Jesus with him. And he gets down to this very last point, Acts 17, 26, and 27. He says to these guys here, And God and he, God, has made, listen to this, from one blood, that's Adam and Eve, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And has, listen to this, determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. That means that the time you were born... And the place that you just, you think, I just so happen to live are no accident. That means God did those things. He made you live where you are right now. He made you born the same time that you were born, right when he wanted you to be born. You think, well, that's kind of cruel, Pastor Ed. How dare God intervene like that for me? Well, but wait a second. Why did he do it? Verse 27 so that they should seek the Lord. So that they should seek the Lord. So he pre-appointed the time that you were born, and he pre-appointed the time that you're, that where are you, you're living right now, so that he could make you get saved? No. Look at the love of God. Look at the choice. So that they should seek the Lord. Look at his hope in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So we are where we are in time, and we are where we are in location, so that we may seek the Lord, which God is hoping that you grope for him and you find him. That's why. God's love for you goes beyond space and time with pre-appointments. And he appointed where you should live and what time you're born. That is mind-blowing. All for what? So that you may come to seek him. And his ultimate desire is to reveal himself to us so that we finish off here, read verses 32 and 33, so that we... Look at what happened with Peter and the disciples here, Matthew 14, 32 and 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And God spoke to me this morning during my devotion time. On Acts 17, what did we just say? God pre-appoints the where you're supposed to live 
and the time that you're supposed to be alive. He also pre-appoints events that he makes happen in your life so that you may seek the Lord. Jesus, what did he do? He sent the disciples away on purpose because he knew the storm was going to come. And his hope was that they would seek him, that they might grope for him, that they may find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And look at what happened here. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Peter, when he threw the test out to Jesus, what was he doing? He was seeking and groping for truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that we, and you guys, by the way, so that we would do the exact same thing as Peter and the disciples. That's what his ultimate desire is, is for every person on the planet to do exactly what Peter and the disciples did in the boat here, to do exactly what they did. He wants us to seek Him, even in our doubt. He wants us to test Him, even if that's what we need to do to know that He's real. So that what? So that He can reveal Himself to us. Because that's His ultimate desire. So that we can then what? Move from faithless to faithful. So that we can come to have faith in Him and put our trust in Him and surrender ourselves wholly over to Him. Just like the disciples did here. They came, they bowed down, they worshiped Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. That's His hope. Acts 17, that we go, that we do that. Like I did in my account. I didn't finish the story on purpose because God told me, say it now. When I was laying there on the floor and God froze me in that room and I couldn't move, I was frozen. God spoke to me those words, oh, Ed, I love you and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm here for you. Come to me, he said. Come to me, he said. And I didn't, wasn't raised in church. I wasn't born in church. I, didn't, I had gone to church a few times. I didn't know any sinner's prayer. I didn't know any specific thing I was supposed to say. All I did at that point, I cried out. I said, Jesus Christ, I need you. I need you. I don't want to live like this anymore. Jesus, I need you. I cried out to God. And at that very moment that I cried out to God, I felt this powerful power of peace go into my head and it filled my whole body and it exploded within me and for just a moment just I don't know how long maybe it was five minutes maybe it was a minute maybe it's 30 seconds I don't know it felt like forever and it felt like I was in heaven sitting there right before God it was perfect peace I don't know how long God came and he saved me. I cried out to him, and he saved me. Saved me. God was then and always will be amazing. As I've been saying the whole service, even before, he is worthy of all the praise and honor from all of his creation because he is the one that gives true peace. Absolutely. And the fact that he allows faithless, seeking sinners to come to Him should give you and me and everybody else on the planet hope. Yes. Because if we have hope, if we just have hope, there's hope for us. Now, as awesome as that is, as awesome as it is that He lets us do this, God wasn't going to let me get away from this service without saying this next little section here, because just an FYI, just a warning here to us. Just, just a warning. Anybody that's listening, everybody that's listening, just a warning. Important warning here right from God, because I was about ready to move into the last section to our close, but he, God said this morning, no, I'm not going to give you no more info until you put this in there. I said, all right, Lord. Okay, all right. Be careful of the attitude of your heart when you come to test God and Jesus Christ. 
Because you see there's opposites. Just as good has bad, you know, the good milk and then there's bad milk. Good, there's good milk that's good to drink and there's bad milk it spoils. Just as there's right and there's wrong. It's right to do good and it's wrong to do evil. Just like that there's evil and just like that there's righteousness, there is an opposite to what we talked about today. There's a very opposite to what we talked about. In Proverbs 3.34, it is just the same where we read, although he gives grace to the humble, it also says he also surely scorns the scornful. Okay, we can't only take half a verse. There's a right and there's a wrong way of our attitude of our heart that we got to come to God if we're doubting, if we're seeking, if we're going to test Him. There's a right and a wrong way of our, of our heart. If Christ was and is patient with doubting, seeking sinners that come to Him to test Him in humility with an earnest desire seeking truth because He desires to reveal Himself to mankind, then the opposite is also true. Christ was and is not patient with stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted sinners who come to him testing him in a challenging, demanding way, not seeking truth at all, and he will not reveal himself to this person at all. Because they come in a demanding, in a forceful, in a, in a I, I need it now. Oh, how dare you? If you're God of all creation, then you come down here and stand down here right before me in front of me and show yourself to me. And I've had people say that to me. Well, I've, I've asked God if he was real because I've given my testimony to many other people. And they've said, well, yeah, I've, I've done the same thing. I've, I've asked God if he's real. And if he's real, why can't he come down right here and stand before me right now and just show himself to me? If, if he just did that, I, I would believe. Well, just the opposite. As Christ is faithful to reveal himself to faithless, seeking sinners who are seeking him in earnesty, then it's also to the fact of those that test God to demanding, to test, to uh, challenge God. And they're not really seeking truth at all because God knows the intimacies of our hearts. Absolutely. In Scripture, there were many people that came to Jesus. And they said, you know, and it says in the Scripture, they came to test Him, to, to, that they might catch Him in His words. And oh, oh, great teacher, oh, we know you're, you're so wonderful, you know, uh, oh, great teacher, well, you know, we, we see this, you know, this denarius here, and, and oh, uh, great teacher, what should we do, you know, should we give, all, should we pay Caesar his taxes so that they might catch Him in His words? And Jesus, although answered them, didn't reveal himself to them. He just said, hey, basically, dude, you're not going to catch me in my words. Give what's to God to God and give what's to Caesar to Caesar's. That's it. But he never revealed himself to the one that came testing and challenging him. He never, ever did it once. In fact, to many, he said, oh, faithless generation. The only sign that will be given you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. He didn't give him any real sign now. He just said, hey, you're going to have to look and wait because I'm not going to give you one because you're demanding, you're challenging me. How dare you challenge me? He is God Almighty and he is to be respected. We need to be careful. You need to be careful how you come to Christ in doubt. Are we coming to him in pride, challenging him, or in humility with an earnest desire to know the truth about him? Because they're very vital. And as we saw last week, there's a good and a bad way. And if we do it the wrong way, if we do it the right way, we'll be justified. If we do it in the wrong way, we condemn ourselves. So in closing, we must, the question must be asked. In closing, where are we individuals at with Jesus Christ today? Where are we with Jesus today? Remember Acts 17, God set up where you live where you were born, and all creation, Romans 1.16 says, all creation testifies of the reality of God so that you would seek Him and that in His desires that you would find Him. That's God's side. That's on God's end. So you, nobody's going to get to heaven if they reject Jesus. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, but God, I, I just didn't know. You, I just... You know, how could you count me? How could you judge me? I just never knew. God would say, really? I, I pre-appointed the time that you lived 
and, and the very place that you lived so that you would come and seek me because I was reaching out to you. How many people of mine did I send to you? How many sermons did you hear on TV? How many evangelists did I come and send to you? And you just, ah, oh, that stuff's not real. God's going to say, you never even gave me a chance. You never gave me a chance. And I know this 100% because that God wants to save everybody because in John 12, 32, Jesus says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And was he lifted up from the earth? Yes, in both ways. He was both lifted up on the earth on a cross, and he was also lifted up from the earth when he resurrected Amen. from the dead. His disciples saw him ascending into heaven, not descending. They saw him ascending into heaven. So yes, he was lifted up from the earth in both ways. And what did he do? He said here, I will draw all peoples to myself. So the big question is nagging me. The big question for you, the big question for me, the big question for all of us is not, has Christ been reaching out to you? Because scripture clearly says that God and Christ have been reaching out to all of us. That they've both been doing this. For God, remember 2 Peter 3.16, says desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. The question is this. When he has reached out to you today and on the to the rest of your life, when God has reached out to you, when God revealed himself to you, when God was drawing you to himself, how did you respond? How are you responding today to that drawing? Because God's reaching out to everybody. Are you responding like the rich young ruler when you found what the Bible said once you started maybe getting into it a little bit? Oh, you mean I have to give up my whole self to God? Oh, wow, that's too much. You mean he's got to rule over all of me? And then did you walk away saddened like the rich young ruler? Or were you like Peter and the disciples and me? That when God revealed himself to us, we fell down on our faces and we worshiped him and said, Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. What did you do and what are you doing to the ways that God is reaching out to you this very day and in your past? He desires that you respond to his drawing by starting to seek him. Even if you're doubting, he wants you to seek him. He wants a chance. He wants, to, he wants to give you a chance right now. If you start seeking him, he wants to give you a chance to experience him. He wants to give you a chance, even if you have to test him in earnesty, wanting to seek the truth. He wants to give you a chance right now just to come in and to know him. He wants to reveal himself to you. His word says that he does. Again, even if you have to throw a test his way to really make sure, like I did, like Peter did, like the rich young ruler did, just, just even if you have to do those things to find out, is God real? Jesus Christ, do you really exist? Are you really the one that I should follow and give myself holy to? That's his desire. And then once you find him, once he reveals himself to you in great power, because God can reveal himself to you in great power, his hope is that you respond like Peter and the disciples. 1433 again. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Will you please today examine yourselves and what have you done with the drawing what have you done with the drawing of Jesus Christ on your life? What have you done to his drawing on your life? What have you done? And are you responding today to that? Or are you walking away going, there's no way I can ever give myself wholly to him. There's just no way. God, God's desire is that you come and start to seek him today. Even this sermon that you're listening to. Even this very sermon that you're hearing this very day is God's mercy saying, my son, my daughter, come. Come. This is what I want for you. I want, this is what I want for you. Peace. I want to spend all eternity with you forever. I want to be with you for all eternity, together with you, not separated. Come. 
please come. If you haven't, please come. He's worth every single iota of yourself that you have to give up. He's worth it all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this very day, Lord God, that you continue to reach out to mankind. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the mercy that you still are pouring out upon all mankind. Because, <laughs> Lord, you're so rich in mercy. You're so rich in mercy. And your desires are so pure and so holy and so awesome that you, that you set up the very time of life that we're supposed to live. So if I was you know, born in the 20s and I lived to the, to, the, to the 70s, and that was the time that you pre-appointed for me to live, just so I would seek you in the hope that I would grope for you and find you. Because you're hoping that everybody on the planet does this, seeks you, gropes for you, and finds you. Lord, God in heaven, if anybody's out there, listen to this message and they know I, I've been the rich young ruler. I know you've been drawing me. I, I know that God's been drawing me. I just, oh, it hurts so much to surrender. Lord, speak to their hearts right now. And show them it's really not hard. Once we start to seek, you just kind of help us all the way through the process. And you just change our wicked, stony hearts and change us. Because we can't even change ourselves. All that you desire is that we start to seek you. Lord, and that's all you want for us to just respond to the drawing that you're already drawing us you to you. Wow, you're so amazing, God. Your love is so extravagant, Lord God. That's why you told me to play that song this morning. This morning, your, your love is so extravagant, Lord. It's so, it's, it is so much. Thank you for this characteristic of yourself that makes me fall deeper in love with you every day. I love you and praise you, dear God. Keep drawing the people that just still won't come. Keep drawing them, dear God, to their last breath. And Lord, please work on their hearts to open them and show them where they're at and how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.